Good morning and welcome. This is Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV here in historic Waterbury, Vermont. I'm your host, uh, Brad Furlan, your Monday host, and I'm doing uh, Thursday this week, too. Uh, on Thursday, uh, Elizabeth Von Trapp's going to return. She was here with me on Christmas Eve show last year, and we're going to do uh, some Von Trapp music and uh, sort of walk around the world with her. And uh, Jess O'Brien's going to join me on Thursday as well, who is a singer and songwriter. So we've got someone who's more in the retired music world almost and an and up-and-comer. Today we've got a great show ahead. Uh, in the first hour, we're going to be talking with uh, Scott Detweiler and Nikki Sorrell. Uh, they are both with the Vermont National Guard. The uh, Scott is an integrated prevention manager, Nikki sexual assault response coordinator, and we'll talk about you know what's going on with the guard and the improvements that they're working. Uh, the Adjutant General Knight has uh, made this an issue uh, for the guard to really tackle and. And then nationally, it's being tackled as well. At 10 o'clock, Kimberly Lipinski is joining me. She's with Central Vermont Council on Aging. And it's going to be really fun because they are collecting recipes, old recipes, old comfort food recipes. And they're going to, uh, they, they bring them on Meals and Wheels. They use them in Alzheimer's, uh, cases. People who once loved salmon pea wiggle, uh, if you put, uh, uh, sushi in front of them, an elderly person with Alzheimer's, they, they won't eat the sushi, but they see salmon pea wiggle and all of a sudden they're smiling and they're happy and uh so we're going to talk a lot about that at 10:30 my guest is governor Phil Scott and uh I when I spoke with the governor I pro- I said governor we're not going to talk about politics and he was happy about that we're going to talk about life his upbringing uh role models and uh just talk about you know how how his journey went and uh you know, how he is a role model to other Vermonters. Uh, so look forward to that discussion. So I want to welcome to the show now, Scott Detweiler, Integrated Prevention Manager. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, you maybe tell us a little bit about your role and also you, you also have a, a military background as well. I do. I have 18 years of military service, uh, the first half or so with the Pennsylvania National Guard before moving up and joining the Vermont National Guard, who I've been with since 2013. I also serve in the civilian capacity as the integrated primary prevention manager, as you said. This is a brand new program that the Department of Defense is rolling out across all services, and I run it here for the Vermont National Guard. And the intent is really to look at what are those shared factors that contribute towards our interpersonal violence that uh, we've seen occurring within the military? So suicide, sexual assault, domestic violence, what are those things, contributing factors those all share, and how do we influence those to prevent them from happening again in the future? Right. And all of those have been a problem in the past and um, and and maybe sort of more of a secret problem in in some senses right but now it's not and 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 you're working hard at, at bringing it bringing it into the the light so that you can help deal with it absolutely it 
we have to break those cycles of silence, right? And awareness is a big part of that. And we've done that to a great extent in Vermont. Vermont National Guard was one of the first states to start reporting our sexual assault numbers to the state legislature about 10 years ago. Uh, and so we've been much more open in our communications about what we've been doing, the efforts that we've done, the cases that we're seeing uh, than many other organizations throughout the DOD uh, and the country. And what this new program is uh, designed to do is add on to that awareness specific primary prevention efforts, which means how do we look at what's the very beginning of these problems before they become a crime and how do we influence it there so that they don't continue to grow and fester throughout the organization. And we're talking about uh, sexual assault, harassment, suicide, substance abuse as well, mm-hmm. uh, things that, you know, happen in, in real world. Um, what, we'll break them down a little bit. Harassments, what, what does that mean? What, what is somebody experiencing? So harassment, in short, is a harmful or toxic work environment where that individual feels that for whatever reason – uh, they cannot perform wholly in their work environment. Uh, there are different legal thresholds for it. Uh, it could be uh, based on a protected class discrimination. So that could be uh, for disability, it could be for age, or it could be for gender discrimination, which includes sexual harassment. What we know from the research that's been done is that there's a direct correlation between the prevalence of sexual harassment and the occurrences and likelihood of sexual assault within units. So sexual harassment can happen more overtly within workspaces where other people can witness it and influence it, whereas sexual assault often happens behind closed doors. So if we can address it when it's just an unwelcome comment before it's even a systemic sexual harassment issue, then we're creating an environment where uh, we are encouraging professionalism and dignity and respect and not allowing that unprofessionalism, those harmful behaviors to grow and fester and lead to something much more egregious over time. So it's a it's a cultural kind of thing, that a culture within your organization that, that's healthy. Yeah, absolutely. So what we've come to understand as we – uh, get into doing this new work is that we start as the integrated prevention program, right? Where we're working with these different programs like the sexual assault program we have, the suicide pro- program, uh, behavioral health, and those will all continue and we're augmenting them and looking at those contributing factors, as I said. But as we get deeper into the work, we're learning that we're really an organizational change uh, program looking to create climates and cultures where every one of our members can thrive to their maximum capacity. It's I'm I'm thinking in the harassment uh, I'm not stuck on that, but uh, basic training seems to have an element that's different, right? Because people are being drilled and it, it, it's meant to to sort of build their character in in a way. Uh, but then you transition to getting out of basic training and then the culture changes a little bit. Is that true or? Sure. I would say basic training is no longer the full metal jacket style basic training that we've seen in some of those older movies. Okay. It's evolved a lot over the years. Uh, then maybe even, I can enlist then. <laughs> we got a waiver for you, I'm sure. Just talk to General Knight. Uh, 
even from when I went through basic training 18 years ago, it's, it's changed tremendously. But that simulated stress that basic training provides is important in those environments. We have to learn to be able to function under stress. That, that is ultimately what we sign on the dotted line to do. Right. Uh, and it's important to learn how to evolve as leaders and make the transition when we come back to our units uh, that operating under that stress all the time is not necessarily the most effective. There are more uh, effective and supportive ways to communicate with each other than you know, yelling with the knife hand all the time. Right. And, and that's something that uh, we definitely learn. So you were deployed in Iraq in 2009, and you've done a lot of, you've had a lot of hats in the military leading up to where you are. Did that give you sort of an empathy for the problem then, the problems, uh, because you were in the real world of it too? It did. It allows me to understand a lot of different facets of the organization, uh, a lot of the culture of the organization. And so as we're looking at this greater organizational change, those, that breadth of experience has allowed me to, uh, communicate with all sorts of different folks. I can take really these public health processes that we're trying to bring to the guard, the strategies for, that the Centers for Disease Control has used for years to combat, say, teen smoking or, uh, drunk driving, those sorts of things. Use those same strategies in the guard, but then translate them into military, uh, speak because I've done that military stuff, so I can make those connections. And so that's really what the the experience that I bring is allowed to do, is make connections in different areas where uh, those aren't always the most apparent at first. We're talking this morning with Scott Detweiler, and we'll be talking um, soon with Kimberly Lipinski, who is the director of nutrition, uh, I'm sorry, with Nikki Sorrell, uh, who is the sexual assault response coordinator. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so this is a program that's reasonably new. Scott, can you, can you sort of tell us about the inception and, and how it's grown? Absolutely. It's a really incredible story, actually. So to give you some context, the state Equal Employment Program, Equal Employment within the federal government has been in existence for about 50 years now. The sexual assault program that we have that Nikki is coming in to talk to you about shortly is about 15 years old uh, and still evolving incredibly. Uh, and so this program really first existed in inception or, or concept uh, in the Department of Defense and Sexual Assault Prevention Response Office's primary plan of action that they published in 2018. And in that document, they talked about the need to put more resourcing and effort into primary prevention, which means, you know, the very um, beginnings of, of a problem, the, the seeds. And then it was in 2020, the, the tragic murder of Vanessa Guillen in Fort Hood, Texas, brought a lot of national attention uh, to the issue because it was found through investigation that she was sexually harassed and assaulted prior to her murder. And that tragedy and, and the news that it generated brought a lot of light to the systemic issues of violence that was occurring in the military. Following that investigation, Secretary Austin initiated an independent review commission to look at the sexual program across the DOD and provide specific recommendations for improvement. General Knight 
for the Vermont National Guard was one of the only National Guard voices to speak to this Independent Review Commission. And he highlighted the need to resource and build capacity around primary prevention specifically. Uh, and then so – in 2021, August, Secretary Austin accepts all 82 recommendations that come out of this Independent Review Commission. Those are all then resourced in that fall's National Defense Authorization Act. And less than a year later, I was hired in Vermont as one of the first integrated primary prevention program managers across the National Guard. And you, you, you have two hats, right? You are in the military, you're in the guard, but in this role, are you considered a civilian advisor? Is that what it is? Correct. I think that's a good way to describe it. So as we mentioned, I am in the military. I continue to serve as a drill status guardsman, which means the traditional one week in a month, two weeks a year. It can be sometimes more than that. And then also my day-to-day job is as a federal civilian employee uh, leading a team of civilians to do this work. So the learning curve must have been incredible, right? So you're a civilian, yet you are observing all of this, um, you know, some of this behavior, which obviously, you know, it, we can't condone sexual assault, harassment, um, substance abuse. But you you have a little bit of a safeguard being a civilian advisor. Is that what why that is? It allows us to influence whatever level of the chain of command needs to be influenced. Right. So we can take that pervasive look and not have to worry about specific chain of command uh, when we need to implement change uh, at various levels. So it gives us a little bit of freedom to move among the system. Right. Um, and and are you listened to? <laughs> I think so. I think General Knight places a lot of backing for us yeah. uh, that we, we really appreciate. So he's been a huge champion for change in the Vermont National Guard. Uh, and he allows and gives us the freedom as well as the backing to do the work that we need to do. Um, so we know that if we are experiencing barriers, which we honestly haven't, uh, but if we were to, we know that General Knight has our back and we could go to him with those issues. Yeah. So you are un- you uncover something that's been systemic for a long, long time, right? And then how, how are you taking it forward? How is this program improving the lives of guardsmen in Vermont? So it's going to be a long and iterative process. But what that looks like year over year is we begin with an annual needs assessment where we start to measure what are the prevalence of those risk factors and protective factors that can lead to uh, interpersonal violence over time, those seeds that I mentioned before. So we get a good data set on what are those prevalence rates. And then we assign evidence-based strategies to influence those over time. That can be at the policy level, can be at the programs level, or even more granular than that. Uh, and as we apply that over time, we'll measure the effectiveness of that. Are we moving the needle or not? What do we need to uh, adjust? And so the actual on-the-ground soldier or airman may not necessarily be able to articulate, yeah, we have an integrated primary prevention program. But they should, in the matter of a short to, to mid uh, amount of time, be able to say, yeah, things are actually improving around here because we've made some policy adjustments or we've wor- worked at the strategic level to influence 
their day-to-day life uh, in ways that they experience but might not always see, if that makes sense. It does. And so there are several thousand employees, so to speak, in the Guard, right, in the Air Guard, in the National Guard. And are you um, working at all levels? Um, you're starting with the general and, and going down through the ranks and being sitting in on meetings all all through the ranks? Yes, we are. So we have about 3,000 members in the Vermont National Guard, about 1,000 airmen and around 2,000 just under soldiers. There's a lot of uh, openings on both sides. If everyone is interested, they can absolutely reach out to us. Yep. Uh, it's Service in the Vermont National Guard has been tremendous in opening doors for me in my life personally. Uh, so, yes, there's a lot of opportunity there, about 3,000, as I mentioned. And we work uh, really from the top down, uh, but we're taking data that's generated from the ground up to do that. So we have climate surveys that we've just concluded administering. Those will give us a lot of data and information. We're doing focus groups in different areas of the organization to add to that those hard numbers to help us understand, again, those risk and protective factors. So for, for us, risk and protective factors are our bread and butter and, and the foundation of everything else that we do. So we're laser focused on that. So work in progress and, and, and you're getting assistance from the rank and file who are saying, mm-hmm. hey, maybe you should think about this. Absolutely. Yeah. And so in part because we're civilian and we can operate with freedom throughout the chain of command, we can speak to the lowest level soldier airmen, understand what they're experiencing, but then also have understanding of what are the higher level uh, things that are influencing those. Are, are there? Is it just a knowledge gap where that soldier airman doesn't fully understand why things are the way they are? And if they, we can improve that understanding, we'll improve their experience. Or is it something else that actually needs greater change? So does it, it, it is a relatively new program. And I look at the industries that went through these iterations of, you know, change, the, the movie industry and, you know, all of these other things. Does it strike you as late in coming? Um, I mean, I mean, it's great. It's here, but it, it seems counterintuitive that it took this long to really get this focus. I think, you know, in Vermont, we're a little bit of a step ahead. We, as when I was sexual assault response coordinator, as Nikki is now, uh, I was that role back in 2016. And we started looking more at primary prevention and talking about it back then. Uh, so we've been at this game for a few years longer than many other places have been. Uh, and I would also say that there isn't necessarily a template for how to do this at the scale of the U.S. military out there. Hmm. Uh, you know, you have college campuses that are trying to do various programs, but they're their own isolated campus with their own, you know, micro set of, of folks, even the large universities. Whereas we're talking about the entire U.S. military, millions of yeah. individuals, and there's no template for how to roll this stuff out um, across that vast of an organization. Uh, so I'm glad that this program is here now. It's definitely needed, and uh, I think we'll show some real positive results over time. Well, it sounds like you are uh, definitely um, getting getting the positive results. And I imagine that it. Uh, we only have about a minute left, but uh, – the trust you have to kind of learn 
the sort of the the game rules, and then you have to also be trusted by the people you're talking to, mm-hmm. so that they believe what you're saying is true. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And feedback is incredibly important in building that trust. So as we do this focus groups, uh, one thing that we hear is, yeah, we're we're happy to tell our story. And when we've done this in the past, we haven't heard back from Got those it. results. So yeah. when we can deliver from those focus groups, hey, we heard you, this is the compilation of what you've provided, uh, then that in and of itself is huge. And then if we can actually uh, make some of the easier changes to make, then that will generate a lot of trust as well. Amazing. Well, thank you for all you're doing on this. It's very important just for decency in life, right? It's a it's a big deal. I want to welcome now uh, Nikki Sorrell. She's the sexual assault response coordinator for the uh, National Guard here in Vermont. Welcome, Nikki. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, great to have you. Uh, so you are, can you tell us a little bit about the, the, uh, the, the response coordinator position, SARC? Yeah. So, uh, we, we go by SARCs because in the military, everything has an acronym, of course. Okay. Um, so there is myself. I'm the oversight for the sexual assault prevention program. And then I work alongside Serena Fernari. She's another SARC, a sexual assault response coordinator. Um, and she covers the air guard. Uh, um, we work together um, under the SAPR program. And you are a civilian, unlike um, Scott. You, you came into this uh, uh, hired as a civilian with what expertise to – or were you trained? Yeah, so pure civilian, you're right. Um, my background is in mental health. So I have a um, – associate's degree in clinical psychology. I worked in crisis for a while with both children and adults. I worked in private therapy for a while. And then I came to the Guard about four years ago now. Actually, January will be four years. Okay. So you, your feet are more than wet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'd say. Um, Scott talked about um, more categories, uh, sexual assault, harassment, suicide, substance abuse. Are you just more... Are you exclusively focused on sexual assault? Our program exclusively is the reporting place for sexual assault, yes. Um, but we often tell folks when you are looking at something sexually based, um, so oftentimes we are getting sexual harassment information. We're not the reporting place for that, but we help facilitate that. We help guide that. Um, and because of a new policy that came out recently from the Department of Defense, we're also able to offer our services that we're able to offer uh, assault survivors to people uh, going through the sexual harassment reporting process. And it cross threads a little bit sometimes with substance abuse and mental health, all of these things, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's so much co-occurring um, when trauma and violence happens. Um, so the ability, I think, for myself and, and Serena, who I work with, who has a background in mental health as well, she's a licensed clinical social worker, the big focus for us is looking at that co-occurrence, co-occurrence, excuse me, making sure we're looking at a member holistically. What are they living with? What have they experienced before? How can we best support them? So it's figuring that out in the moment. And then also from the program perspective, how can we shift and tailor our program to make sure that we're looking at a member holistically? doing the prevention work, also noting that there's probably other things going on 
regardless whether they've had trauma or not, but certainly if they've experienced trauma, then a lot of times there is going to be other things, mental health, substance abuse. Um, the two often are tied together. And is your main focus uh, as the victim advocate or do you have a role with the, the perpetrator as well? Our main role in our program is as the victim advocate. So we, um, unlike, say, a Title IX coordinator who oversees these types of cases on a campus, has to be completely unbiased. Um, we are able to just purely support that surviving member. We are often in the know of perpetrators and to some degree work with commands of perpetrators. Um but a lot of the focus is purely on advocating for our survivor that we're working with and advocating for, for any survivor, whether or not they've identified as such. And uh, Scott was saying there's like three to 4,000 people involved in Air Guard and, and Army Guard. It's, so it's gigantic, really. You're, you're your own world in some ways, right, being on the base. So do you as well, do you, you start at the top and then you – you have policy in place and you start educating first? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of policies in place um, and we do a ton of training and education. We also have a really wonderful cadre of trained victim advocates within our guard. Um, right now, I believe we have roughly 30 trained victim advocates and those members get trained as the same way we do. They go through a national, national credentialing board. Um, a lot of hours, uh, based around that training and credentialing. And so between us and our advocates, we're in the units training members trying to get that one on one time. We do annual training every year, but then we augment that training. Um, my counterpart, Serena, put together a really wonderful trauma informed leader training that's all based on Adverse childhood, um, I'm sorry, the ACEs, so adverse childhood, adverse childhood experiences, excuse me. Mm -hmm. So we have the training that we do. We also adapt the training to fit down because, yes, we work from the top all the way down. We really want to get down to every single soldier, if possible, and airmen. Right, meaning um, in, in terms of an educational process about what's allowed and what's not allowed or – educational process and to really build the rapport because when you're thinking about somebody who's experienced violence and they may want to report it or they may just need a safe space to come and talk about it we really want to make sure that they at least see our face know our name have some sort of an interaction so that they feel a little bit more comfortable coming forward to talking to us the idea that somebody is sitting with something and they don't know what to do with it or they're not sure who to talk about it is sort of the worst case scenario for us. So the more we can get down to each unit and engage with every member we have, if we're able to, to be able to just to build that rapport with people so they feel a little bit more comfortable coming forward and talking with us. Right, for sure. Trust. And then also the belief that you'll do something about it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so how does that work? Like if I um, am seen going into a donut shop, people are pretty sure I'm going in to eat donuts, which is obviously true if you look at my waist. But um, do you have a do you have sort of a, a, a private kind of place to meet with people and it's discreet or how does that work? Well, we do a couple things. We always offer to meet off post. Okay, um, nice. So we can meet in yeah. coffee shops. We can meet anywhere a, a person is comfortable. Yeah. We also both set up our offices in a way that um, it's normal for people to come in and out. My office space specifically always has candy bowls and snacks and low lighting. <laughs> and, um, you know, we try to make it. I always have a comfortable couch that people talk about. I have swag out. So trying to make it a place where people just come 
regular yeah. to check in. We'd say at every training, um, hey, even if you're not dealing with something sexually based and you just not need a space to come and relax and eat a snack or, you know, say you're having a rough day, come to my office and see wow. those things. Nice. So just to sort of build that as a everybody's welcome, not so people aren't thinking every time somebody walks in the door, oh, well, that person has had this experience. Right. We right. take that away. Yeah. yeah, because it takes a lot of bravery to walk through the door or make the call. Absolutely. So much. And trust. Absolutely. Bravery and trust. We're talking with uh, Nikki Sorrell. She's a sexual assault response coordinator for the Vermont Guard, which includes the Vermont Guard and the Air National Guard. You service both. Uh, what is the – there was – Sort of an old way of thinking. There was sort of the intimidation of, uh, sort of, for lack of a better word, I would say it was sort of a, 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 a man's world in the military in, in many ways. And, and with that authority became problems and abuse. Are you seeing a change, a cultural change as our new generation of, of people in espousing a, a new way of thinking? Yeah, I think we are seeing a change and I equate it to also in society, right? We've been seeing a change. The Me Too movement happened in 2016 and since then our society is more accepting of listening to a survivor story. The idea of believing a survivor is far more PC than not, thankfully. Um, and I think we're seeing that adapted into the military as well. There's still problem areas, and I imagine there will always be problem areas if I'm being realistic. But I think in general, especially in the Vermont Guard, we've seen a shift in, I mean, having Major General Knight in his place um, and and putting these things as a priority, putting sexual assault, putting prevention um, as a priority has been a huge shift. And then as we watch the younger leaders as they're coming up and um, the, the way they're talking about these things are different, the way members are talking about when I go into a training and now we've changed, changed the training to be more conversation based and asking people, hey, what do you think? What is this about? Um, and the engagement that happens and the things that people are willing to share show that things are changing. And there's sort of, I assume, every degree of reporting. If somebody is just sort of on the fringe of feeling like something's getting a little bit awkward, do, can they call you up and say, what do I do? How do I navigate this? Absolutely. I tell people I welcome anything that they are questioning, sitting with, thinking about, feel uncomfortable with, come and ask the question. Call, text, email, however you're comfortable doing it. I've worked with members who are ready to fully report. I've worked with members who are ready to talk about it but not make a report. I've worked with um, members whose children have been affected by sexual violence, and they're wondering how to sort of sit and experience that with them. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of different our office, as Serena and I say this all the time, our office is not specifically just for the report. It's for anything that a member needs that is going to help them feel like they can move through their experience in some sort of a healthy, healing, positive way. So do you become a, a counselor of sorts or are you more just sort of the air traffic controller of <laughs> what to do when you hear the hear something reported. I, I mean, I think we inevitably become a counselor of sorts. Yeah. It's not in our position descriptions. Luckily, Serena and I have both been therapists before. Right. Um, so it helps. Um, but it's not, it's not the way the job is necessarily meant to be. But in my opinion, 
how do you not sit with somebody in that space where they're sharing uh, this vulnerable part of themselves and their lives and not go into some, it, it becomes a therapeutic space. It has to. Yeah. Now in some, um, and I, I want to qualify something. We're talking about a, a problem that exists in the military, but this is a problem that exists everywhere, right? Yeah, you, this is not exclusive to you. So we're not, um, sort of pointing a finger at the military and saying this is the only evil out there. Um, with that, uh, in some, like in some, um, business industries, if somebody is experiencing alcohol or, or substance abuse, drug abuse, if they report it, um, they can not immediately lose their job. They can maybe go to a rehab or something. Is there any of that in this? If somebody is feeling like they're not really mentally acting in a, in, in according to the rules of the military, can they get help too? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have wonderful behavioral health folks that we work with um, on both the air and the army side. And for someone to come and share, hey, this is something I'm struggling with. Um, <clears throat> absolutely. Okay. That, that help. So anyone can go to you at any time. Let's talk a little bit more about the confidentiality process here so that people feel protected. Yeah, so uh, myself and Serena Fernari, our other sexual assault response coordinator, have 100% confidentiality when it comes to our members coming to disclose information. Of course, we have to keep in mind if they're looking to harm themselves or someone else, that does shift. Um, but when they're coming to disclose violence that they've experienced or a concern somebody might be experiencing, um, we can offer them complete confidentiality. They also do not have to make a report just because they disclose an incident, an incident, excuse me. Um, we really painstakingly talk about come and talk if there's something that you feel is going on or you're concerned might be going on or something that happened 25 years ago that you're still struggling with. Uh, know that it's a safe space that you can come and talk confidentiali confidentially about it. Meeting them where they're at. Absolutely. And does this mean somebody who is could be a retired military person who's living in Virgins and, and, and wants to talk and get this out? I suppose it could be. Yeah. Uh, we tend to take our reports from our members. Okay. Uh, but we work really uh, deeply in contrast with the Vermont Network Against Sexual and Domestic Violence. Uh, we also work with the, uh, the VA, uh, yeah. the MST coordinators there, military sexual trauma coordinators, uh, so that we can connect people to resources as well. So absolutely, if we're a comfortable starting place for you, and then we can help get you more resources. Awesome. Uh, talking with Nikki Sorrell, earlier Scott Detweiler, uh, about sexual assault response coordinator, um, coordination and help, uh, harassment, suicide, substance abuse. Uh, there's a lot of help there and uh, a lot of hope, too. Uh, things are changing in a good way. I want to thank you for b being with me this morning, Nikki. Thank you so much. It's great. We'll be back right after this.